Nation Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the Combination Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we're bringing you two interviews about Gareth Tunley's new film, The Ghoul. First up, we've got Jack Goodman, the producer of the film. It's a really special moment to speak to Jack, because Jack actually works as front of house staff at Curzon Wimbledon. And somehow, in between serving out popcorn, he managed to produce this amazing film. So we sat down and spoke to him about how it just got off the ground and everything that went into his role including late nights sleeping in a caravan in central London. Along with Jack, we also spoke to Alice Lowe, who you may know from her directorial debut Prevenge from earlier this year, as well as her work in Sightseers and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Alice stars in The Ghoul, and we spoke to her alongside Gareth Tunley, the director. And there's some really interesting chat there about this new renaissance in low-budget British filmmaking that directors like Steve and Alice, along with Steve Aram and Ben Wheatley are championing. Ben actually executive produced The Ghoul. So we'll start with Jack talking about The Ghoul. Just so you know, Gareth and Alice, we spoke to uh, just in a little bar. So there is a bit of background noise there, but we have managed to lift out the voices. So pleased to welcome Jack Goodman, producer of The Ghoul, but more importantly, Curzon Wimbledon staff member. Yes, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, Sorry, I'm oh, professional. So Let's turn that off. That would never happen on set, I hope. No, no, no way. <laughs> um, so this has got to be a pretty weird week for you with the release of The Ghoul. Yeah, it's it's amazing and kind of totally surreal because I'm you know I'm still working at the cinema and the Ghoul poster is up at the cinema. I'm going on to the point of sale and I can see how I'm able to sell tickets for the ghoul and it's you it's, know how easy it is to just give them a, a discount ticket if they're buying specifically for the ghoul just like get them in yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely just just you know I could just sell ghoul tickets if I wanted you know just just send them that way but it, it's amazing and it's yeah it is quite surreal it's very exciting it's, mm. it's opening tomorrow and you know seeing the write-up on the website and things like that it's really you know it's, it's like it's, like it's happening yeah it? it just feels like a really a real movie yeah you know i'm so used to all these real movies that i work with sort of being you know working in a cinema mm. and they come in the posters come in and they go on sale and it's happening but it's happening with with my with our film yeah it's it's, it's really exciting uh, to come and talk to you as well the fact because i worked in like box office in front of house and stuff um so it's really great to see because we have uh, the hinterland from a couple of years back as well yeah Chapel yeah, yeah. in soho kind of taking that uh, it's, it's great to see kind of people getting into film from like the like the real end point of it yeah yeah uh, it's great, yeah. And I met Harry a couple of times early, sort of kind of early days of the Ghoul. We shot it, but um, we were in the process of editing, and it was just good to talk to another sort of similar filmmaker who had, you know, done this project somehow, managed to, you know, shoot a movie and mm. then get it on in cinemas. And so, yeah, it was it was good to meet Harry. That was, 
you know, another film that we kind of saw and it makes you think, well, maybe ours could also, you know, yeah. do that. So. And we've, um, so after this, we'll, uh, we've got an interview with Alex Lowe, who's in The Ghoul. Um, and I really want to ask you about, so your, where did your involvement with the film come from? Like, um, it, when, did, when did you get become a part? It came, so I did, um, I, did a sh- I did a couple of shorts with Gareth before before doing the ghoul um and i had been i had been working on films that's what i was doing before i started um working at curzon um which was great and i learned a lot and worked on some really cool films with some cool directors and things like that but um i kind of saw that um if you work on films you're pretty much full time you're you know that's like you're 12 hours Mm -hmm. on set you've got to get to set you're working six day weeks um, and as good as it was, I always wanted to do my own projects or get involved with writers and directors whose scripts I, I liked and wanted to work on with them um, to get them made. So I I kind of stopped working on films and started working at the cinema, which freed up my time to, um, to link up with directors mm-hmm. and work on shorts and different projects. And I worked on a few different ones. And then through doing a project with a couple of projects with a director, I got introduced to Gareth, who had The Baron, which was a short ready to go, and he asked me if I wanted to produce that, and I did, and and that's kind of how it how we linked up. And in the film industry, there's like titles can be pretty fluid. So a producer could be someone who is pretty hands-on and making things happen. Yeah. It could just be someone that's giving up some dosh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, what was your responsibility? Producer, runner, chef, <laughs> driver, uh, security, um, ev- like everything. On this, it was everything. There was one point where I, we were shooting in Soho um, on a Saturday morning. Um, we thought it'd be nice and quiet Saturday morning, but we had these street cleaners outside. And so I'm, I'm outside trying to ask them to be quiet while we're on camera. We didn't have any walkie-talkies. We're doing it via phones. Just everything. One night I had to. Um, I had a camper van at the time, which was the production vehicle, right. um, which was great. So we'd you know pack it up after each day. One one evening I had to sleep. We went to the next location which we were shooting in, so we couldn't unload into it. Um, because the next day we were on camera in the morning. Um, and so that night I slept on that drive in the van with all the kit, you know, just, just did everything and uh, it was it was great. How long was the shoot? The uh, We did a crazy shoot of, our principal photography was uh, 10 days. Um, I think something like, like nearly 10 pages a day, which is just kind of, kind of ridiculous um, and then <clears throat> excuse me after that we went and got um, what we called our second unit which took a bit more time but we had we had some time to get that so that's all the kind of uh, when you see the film the London uh, shots and the sort of the the exteriors which kind of help the film breathe a bit because most of the dialogue is inside okay. in locations that we could get um, but then we went out and got lots of footage and there's stuff on motorways and you know around London and things like that um, which we had a bit more time to get yeah um, and also we're talking about this and what it looks like and where you shot it but uh, what is it about what's well, so it about we actually covered that no, yeah it is <laughs> it's a psychological thriller it's about Chris who's a detective who thinks these psychotherapists are involved in a double murder 
So to investigate, he goes deep undercover as a, as a patient, as a psychiatric patient. Mm. Then over the course of him having the therapy, his own psychosis and paranoia start to get a real grip of him and the lines between what's really happening and what's going on in his mind start to blur. It's a bit of a head scratcher, it gets ugly and uh, yeah, I'm not giving anything away. No, yeah. no. Um, so how did you balance that with having to then dish out popcorn? Um, I actually, I wasn't dishing out popcorn at the time. Um, I, so we had, my, we, my parents went away for three months, um, which, so in that time that was like, okay, we've got a window to use this house as, and it turned into everything. So I, I moved back into my parents' house, didn't have a job at the time. So I was, I was actually signing on when, right. we, when we were doing all this and we had this three month window where the house became production office, unit base, uh, became a few of the locations. So we just used mm. this this house we had. You know, if anyone's trying to do a very low budget thing, you need a base, and yeah. we we got our base. That window came up, and so we just moved in there, and and that's uh, so I wasn't working at the time. Right. Um, I think there was a day when we were actually shooting, and I was like, I've got to go and sign on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I know from my time working at box office, you mentioned it earlier, uh, getting a post delivery is always like a nice kind of, you kind of once a week, yeah. little surprise. Did Were you there for that delivery? Yeah, yeah, I was. And um, it, it was great. Yeah. You, you get the cardboard tube, you take yeah. the lid off and you, and, it, and you do it with all of them and you look, you look at the new posters for all the films and, and they're nice. Like you say, it's a nice moment. You mm. take, see what, you know, what. Did you know it was happening? Do you know it was going to get a text like it might be out today? I, I didn't know on oh, the day. So it was, I, I knew it would happen, but yeah. it came by surprise and I wasn't even thinking about it and then opened it and it was like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. great. Uh, yeah, there's, there's my name just yeah, in that yeah, yeah, yeah. The in the little um, in the little block at the bottom, you can find it. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, other than seeing that poster, was there any other moments during either the filming or since you've wrapped that you've had to think, "God, this actually happened." Um, constantly, yeah, yeah, almost daily. When I'm when I'm telling people what's happening, um, you know, when I say, "Oh, yeah, it's got you know a week at Curzon Bloomsbury, a week here, we're doing a Q and A at Wimbledon." You've got Rhys Shearsmith doing our Q&A um, and I kind of hear myself saying it slightly <laughs> slightly out of body Yeah, that you know that sounds like the sort of conversation I'd hear film producers have mm. and it's sort of coming out of my mouth and it's, it's quite yeah. surreal talking about it but um, yeah these things are happening and, and things like you know, we've got a US release, it's, it's mad, it's, you know, um, and I'm saying that and hearing myself saying that, going, is, is that our film that, we, that we've made? That's amazing. Like when, when I worked in the cinema, uh, there was always like kind of memories of like different, different customers or reviews that they gave you on the way out the door that were really like memorable or particular yeah. uh, experiences of people or things that were said. I was wondering if there's anything that you can think of. Yeah, like, I don't uh, know, I'm just thinking about... Um, people coming out of the ghoul and overhearing yeah. what they're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you had it with, have you been in there with an audience? No, I, I've been in there with audiences, um, but not in the kind of, I haven't been behind the counter hearing people sort of walk out and say, what was, what is See, going that's, on that's there? That's really, so I'm that's, quite looking forward to that. That's completely unique. Like no one else is going to have that. Yeah. Like a lot of the time you like, say your, your producer's going to be out there after a Q and A and kind of lingering in the lobby and have to say, say hello and shake hands yeah. and say, well done. And then maybe they'll get out the front door and then they go, like, God, what was that? Yeah, I but know. 
They'll have no idea. I'll, I'll be there cleaning up the popcorn. <laughs> but no, but I, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be it'll be great. Um, but I, I hope people are going to walk out with uh, with nice things to say. And it is a popcorn film. Do you think? Uh, not not really. No. No. So I think the staff won't be too disappointed. Don't you know? <laughs> not a lot to clean up. No, it's not going to be. A, I don't think it'll be a big clean up um, clean up job, which the staff will be happy about. Um, but yeah, it's going to be there in the cinemas, which is, yeah, it's, 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 like I say, it's all, all quite surreal, but a great, great surreal thing to be sort of experiencing at the moment. Well, well done, mate. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. So that was Jack Goodman. And now let's talk to one of the stars of the film, Alice Lowe, and director Gareth Tunley. Hi. Uh, so congratulations on the film. Thank you very much. Uh, how does it feel to have your debut feature film finally released? It feels excellent. Excellent. It feels amazing because we made this film on a very tiny, 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 tiny fag and a fiver budget uh, quite a while ago. About three years ago we shot wow. it and it's taken, took, you know, a long, long time to uh, do the post-production and then even when it was finished, a long, long time to kind of get it out into the world via festivals. So yeah. to get this release now is, uh, feels good. Excellent. Well, I, I first heard of the film in... Uh, LFF 2016, so London nearly, Film Festival yeah. 1879. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were those months like in between then and now? That kind of waiting. So uh, that was fine. It was more the months when we'd finished the film and it didn't have any kind of home, didn't have a festival, which I'm sure a lot of filmmakers go through. Sure. Uh, where we were kind of fighting to get it seen and get it known. But we had a great, uh, we got two execs in this film, Ben Wheatley, obviously, who was instrumental in getting it out there. And then Diraj Mahe uh, is the other exec who had the amazing insight. He sat us down and he said, you need to show your film to people. And we were like, whoa, 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 slow down with the whole kind of industry jargon, okay? But eventually we got the idea and we just started showing the film uh, about every month, six weeks, um, and eventually, Sort of, it started to gather word of mouth and gather momentum. Excellent. And Alice, I imagine you've uh, been in loads of films, I've been at festivals, and you've had to wait X amount of months to finally see them come out. Is that a weird kind of state to be in? Um, it is, but at the same time, it's good because otherwise you'd just be working all the time sure. if you're having to promote yeah. them back to back. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really pleased that it's sort of having the life that it has. I think something like this film, which is quite unusual, it's quite hard to pigeonhole what genre it is, that might be one of the reasons it took a little bit longer for it to gain some kind of like faith behind it that it was going to work for a cinema audience. And um, I think that was just a bit of um, a work in progress that took a while um, galvanising some sort of momentum and so you're just really pleased when that happens because I think it would be a shame for this not yeah. to be seen in the cinema because um, it is a piece of cinema you know yeah. Um, yeah you sort of think about films that you like from the 70s or whatever that are cult films that didn't get recognition at the time and I just think you know it's nice to know that um, this film's getting some recognition and people are seeing it right so Gareth, if you could quickly talk about you know how this all came together for you then from beginning to here we are now well i was in a position where i was you know writing scripts like a lot of people and sending them out like a lot of people yeah. and uh getting no uh, no interest like a lot of people and uh, you know just going through the whole kind of process of trying to get some stuff made but 
really sort of maybe trying to second guess the market a bit too much, even though I wasn't trying to, but just unconsciously maybe sort of thinking, you know, what does, what could get me, what, what might get made? And it just became really clear that no one was going to give me a million pounds to make yeah. a movie. Uh, and the only way to make a film was to just go and start trying to do it. And so um, I got together with uh, Jack, Cop Jack Gottman, the producer, and uh, Tom Meaton, who produced and is in the film. Um, and we started to just piece together a, a way of doing this film. Great. And uh, Alice, how did you come aboard? So um, there's two different stories to this, because I think that I harassed Gareth to be in it. <laughs> and he sort of in a very gentlemanly way says, oh, no, 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 I wanted Alice to be in it, so I offered it to her. But I sort of knew that Gareth was making a film. We're all part of a sort of friendship group yeah. of comedians anyway. We've okay. all sort of worked on each other's projects. And I heard that Gareth was making a film, and I was like, oh, I'd you know, love to be involved, I'd love to read it and then I read it and I was like wow this is amazing script I didn't know Gareth had got this in his head you know and um, very sort of well written tightly written um, sort of got funny elements to it like a, there's an irony and sense of humour to it but it's a very straight kind of um, thriller you know and it all the pieces really worked in a very mechanically brilliant way I thought and um, so I was kind of like just wanted to be involved basically and um, and then coming on board you know it was just a lot of friendly faces a lot of people that I'd worked with before like Tom sure. Meaton and that just meant it was a project very much built on trust. It was really fun to go in and yeah. work on. There was sort of a real certainty of uh, yeah. focus and kind of getting it done. Yeah, you mentioned then this is kind of like a sort of, you know a big team effort with like a lot of people you already knew. Um, I mean, this is kind of a time in the British cinema where these kind of the people you two, um, Ben and people like that, are making films at the moment. Do you kind of see it, even though you're involved in it? Do you see it as a special time for British film? I think the there's something happening. I think it's like I think there's a reaction at the. At the I think there's all kinds of things different, different things happening in British film as there always are in these, in these things. There's lots of dynamics going at the same time, but one of the dynamics is a kind of grassroots. Um, moment where uh, you know a few people, and I don't think it's entirely by chance, decided to just make films off their own backs. So, you know, Ben Wheatley was very much the kind of trailblazer, um, and you know, Steve Oram, yeah. Alice Lowe, who sat here, um, myself, um, and others as well, um, but who just thought we've got to just kind of take the you know, seize the means of production yeah, and sure. do this ourselves, basically. I, th I think there's something interesting happening in Britain where um, in America it's all sort of like, oh, it's all about TV and film's dead, you know, film's yeah. not a moneymaker unless you're making Marvel sequels yeah. or something. <laughs> and I think here it's there's a bit more of a sense of, like, the creativity in TV or in comedy, perhaps, is, is shutting down yeah. slightly. Okay. And I think as us as a group of comedians, we're all quite alternative to use that expression and it was it was I think it's about sort of those performers and those types of creators being a bit homeless in sense of like where do you put your ideas yeah. you know um, even though that's what British you know that we've got a real strong tradition of surrealism or horror or you know or um, quirky maverick kind of ideas there's not that many places for that for that basically and for me like 
to go into film, it was like this liberating thing of like, okay, maybe there's not much money, but at least there's no censorship and there's no sort of like having to meet the demands of an increasingly paranoid uh, channel or or commissioner or whatever. It's very hard to do anything kind of wild on TV. I mean, Mm. it does happen, obviously, you know, but uh, I think, you know, hopefully this film has a kind of wild edge to it, even though it's quite a classical kind of film in some ways. It's got a kind of wilder edge to it. I think Revenge definitely does. I think Steve Oren's R definitely definitely does. And then films like Mercedes Grows Breaks is is very punk in in its kind of just its attitude. Yeah. And uh, you're almost forced to think like that when okay. um, when you're when you've got no money uh, <laughs> and you've uh, you just have to sort of reinvent the way to make your own film. Um, you can't. You, you almost can't conform too much because you just haven't got the money to to yeah. mimic the the whatever's happening in the mainstream so and what have you got to lose you to... why sort of try and compete yeah. with a marvel film yeah. you're never gonna, gonna basically <laughs> so you might as well just go out on a limb and do whatever you want and hope that there's an appetite for new kind of stuff like with the audience um and yeah so i think there is something happening but it's probably to do with the, the sort of climate of uh, where creativity is sort of seated at the moment in Britain, in terms of like, and it kind of flows to the to the it takes the path of least resistance, and it turns mm. out that the path of least resistance is uh, making low budget films. Yeah, <laughs> oh, great. Uh, so some people have used the word uh, Lynchian. I've read to describe the film. I mean, when you see that, you, you kind of cringe a bit and think, oh. Don't compare me to this person, this person, or are you kind of happy that it's getting that kind of reputation? Well, if you're going to be compared to someone, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, you can't get much better than that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, with, with any film, I think, well, at least for, for us anyway, we were trying to sort of almost escape our influences yeah. as much as follow them. So uh, whenever something was discussed, it was more saying, oh, God, that's a bit too much like, you know, whether it's Lynch or anybody else. Um, and so uh, it was kind of moving away from those things, but uh, but it's definitely there because you know yeah. I grew up with David Lynch. I didn't grow up with David Lynch, but with his films, that <laughs> yes, would be you uh, that would be. You lived in his garden. All right, the secrets out. I grew up with David Lynch, um, but uh, it's kind of in it's kind of in the DNA of things, really. I think. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Alice, you've had your debut recently as well, Revenge. Mm. Um, has that changed your approach as an, uh, an actor? since directing um, like when you're being directed by someone do you kind of think oh I don't know if I do it or do you I kind of have to not. separate that part of your brain I think I have to separate it out because no one would ever hire me again if I said yeah. yes to that they'd be like oh my god she's going to turn up and be a nightmare yeah. um, I think it's more the other way around I think acting okay. always informed me of how I was thinking I would yeah. want to direct which is okay. why I had to direct in the end because it was just screaming to get out of me basically yeah. that I was like I have opinions on the way that things are done and I know which way I think works and I mean it's Courses for courses, really. This film was filmed a completely different way to Prevenge, right. for example. Prevenge was a lot looser and a lot more um, sort of queasy uh, in, in that we had lots of moving shots yeah. and stuff. And, and this was much more static and much more controlled. And I think that Gareth's much more... Um, he's much more Hitchcocky in Hitchcockian in his way of Cocky. Hitchcocky <laughs> of being of like knowing yeah. how he wants to shoot something and it will be done in one one particular angle and um, so you know that's just different and I think that's just different ways of storytelling. It's like you know 
the goal is a very sort of it's a piece of machinery really yeah. it's like and each scene is a cog and you take one of those away and it, it doesn't quite work and um, Revenge was a bit more sort of fluid than that and so the camera work then the edit of Revenge um, moved around quite a lot didn't yeah, it? yeah it yeah. did whereas yeah. ours couldn't really we found we, try, we tried to sort of move it and bend it and obviously it changes a lot but the, the, under, the overall structure sort of couldn't change because it's like Alice says it's sort of just one of those films which sort of only really I was about to say makes sense I don't know if it makes sense but anyway it only works um, one one way yeah. for some reason okay. and the film is a it's quite short compared to most feature films I think it's about an hour and 20 minutes isn't it yeah thereabouts I mean yeah. did you go in thinking I need this film to be this length or did it just kind of happen like that or is that was is there a lot of stuff left on the the cutting room floor as it were there's very little left okay. on the cutting room floor <laughs> compared to a lot of films we uh, we actually gave it to get some advice from an editor and he, he said, show me the rushes drive. Yeah. And he came back with a kind of slightly sort of fearful expression on his face and he just said, yeah, you've used every bit of film, usable film <laughs> in this film. Because um, it was, you know, a pretty constrained shoot all round. Um, but uh, what was the question again? I can't remember um, the question. Did you get everything you wanted in the film, basically, and did you intend? Yeah, the length of the film. The, the, uh, one of the best things that happened to the film was um, maybe people know that Ben Wheatley was the exec producer, and he was actually really uh, had input in the edit, and he was very um, he's very ruthless in his own films um, as an editor edits his own films or co-edits his own films and so he brought that kind of eye to it and then his producer Andy Stark very early on said uh, you need to cut 20 pages from this script yeah and I was said I can't possibly cut 20 pages from the script and I went and tried it and then went yeah what did I need those 20 pages <laughs> miss those um, and that made that made it a leaner script but it also made it a uh, a possible production. I think if I tried to fill, we were going to do, uh, we were going to do 90 pages in eight days. Wow. Uh, we ended up doing 70 something pages in 10 days. Uh, and if it had been the first, I think I would, I would have just, it would have killed me. Um, <laughs> it's so. a good um, exercise to do, isn't it? On a yeah. low budget film, on your first film to like cut it down. Because Prevenge was like um, 70, 70 pages, something like that. Right. I was worried it wasn't going to be long enough. But actually, if you film your kind of moody bits, which would be one line in yeah. in a script, in a screenplay, like, you know, he explores the city, for yeah. example, in The Ghoul, that could be two minutes of footage. Yeah, sure. You don't know. And, um, and so a script isn't always a faithful representation of how long it's going to be anyway. And you, you do, it's, it's all about pacing, isn't it? I think it? a razorhead was 20 pages or something, going back to David Lynch. <laughs> So you know, there you go. Yeah. But, uh, but we had an amazing score as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, you had an amazing score from Toy Drum, but we had mm. a, a great score for the Ghoul from Wayne Shepherd, which uh, just lifts the whole film and tells a complete tells the story, and you know, is sort of telling the subtext of the story all the time, and it's just a beautiful score. And um, it's kind of you know. It's half the half the the world of the film is in that music sure. musical score. And you mentioned there, how, how many days did you shoot over? Mm-hmm. So we shot uh, all the dialogue in the Ghoul in ten days, uh, and then we went away and um, did assemblies and looked at it and went, oh god, and 
then uh, figured out what we needed, yeah. and then went and did about four or five days of uh, of, of the rest of the film, okay. the sort of externals and things like the motorway that you see in the film, motorway sequence. Um, did did that, and we did things like we got. Um, when people see the film, they see uh, Tom's in a car on the motorway, but those, the interior of the car, whenever you see Tom, it's obviously a static car, right. and that was just in a, done in a garage in, uh, <laughs> in Twickenham. And we had uh, to, um, whenever you see car headlights behind Tom Meaton, uh, that's just the producer, Jack Gutman, with two pound shop torches, just stood behind the car, just kind of leaning from left to right, <laughs> listing slowly, um, but you know, no one's no one's found us yeah. out yet. <laughs> Alice, I imagine that's quite intense, isn't it, uh, to to do that kind of really short shoot? Um, I guess so, but I'm getting kind of used to it. To be honest, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I guess I've worked on enough low-budget things that it's it feels normal to me. You've done kids' TV as well, haven't you? So yeah, a bit. So and, yeah, that takes longer yeah. though than you'd think, actually. But um, no, low, but like doing yeah. stuff very quickly, I like. It's when it takes yeah. ages that I don't like. I think I would struggle more to work on a massive budget thing right. because it's like then you're getting 30 seconds in the can every two days if you're lucky, <laughs> something like that, you know, if you're working on some yeah. big CGI things and that I think that's harder yeah you know okay. when you've when you've got this momentum that you're just keeping performing and you're keeping going that's fun that's yeah. enjoyable it's it's nice it's you, adrenaline. Can, you sort of you sort of trust that you know you'll hit you'll hit right notes and and duff notes but it'll the great thing about film is that you, you you only use the good stuff you know <laughs> so so you just get that kind of rhythm of kind of even though it's not a hugely improvisational film the goal it's still the same sort of principle that you just go look we'll you know we'll Everybody, all the all the cast had worked with one another, and so knew each other's rhythms, and are kind of providing energy for one another to feed off. Great, excellent. Good afternoon, Thank you. Thanks. So, thank you to Jack, Alice, and Gareth for spending their time with us to talk about the ghoul. We're really grateful. Coming up soon on the Cousin Podcast, we've actually got a conversation with Walter Merch after his Q and A for the conversation. Merch did the sound design on Francis Ford Coppola's film, and when we recently showed it at Curzon Soho, he gave up his time afterwards to talk to the audience about it. We've recorded that Q&A, and we'll be putting it out on this podcast as well. Along with that, we recently spoke to David Lowry, director of Pete's Dragon, Ain't Them Bodies Saints, one of this year's most unique films, A Ghost Story. And we spoke to him about that, which we'll be making available very soon. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.